thanks to our sponsor, Avpoint. If you like the Microsoft Cloud Show, you'll love the Shift Happens podcast with MVP and Regional Director Dux Raymond Sai. Each week, Dux talks with one of the industry's brightest stars about their most challenging modern workplace or digital transformation project. He uncovers the players, organizational hurdles, and last-minute surprises that inevitably rise when ambitious people try to impact their workspace. Season one features FedEx, Wells Fargo, Heathrow Airport, United Airlines, and other industry leaders. Go to avpoint.com slash blog slash shift happens or search for the hashtag shift happens. That's one word, shift happens, wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe today. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 401, where today CJ and I are going to catch up on some news, including a major Azure AD outage and some other news over the last couple of weeks, recorded live March the 18th, 2021. This episode is brought to you by ShareGate. Do you know how many files are shared outside your organization? Do you know which of your groups and teams are actually being used? Are you sure that every team in your tenant is a valid owner? Do you know why your users create new teams in Microsoft 365 groups? ShareGate's got your back. After helping thousands of customers move to Office 365, they've learned that success in the cloud involves more than just migration. And that's why they created ShareGate Apricot, an automated governance platform for Microsoft Teams and Microsoft 365 groups. ShareGate Apricot can help you answer questions like these without placing unnecessary restrictions on your users. With ShareGate Apricot, get full visibility across each team's lifecycle from creation all the way through to archival. Automate manual tasks involved in identifying problem areas like inactive or orphan teams and collaborate team owners on corrective measures to keep your teams tidy and secure. And that's why they've also combined ShareGate Desktop, their trusted migration and content management tool with ShareGate Apricot in a single subscription so that you have everything that you need to be successful in the Microsoft Cloud. And we're back. All right, CJ, this is episode 401, but contrary to what all the other developers are thinking, they are authorized to listen to this show. <laughs> yeah, we've had that, uh, we've had a, a tweet, uh, I believe it was from Cameron, right? Ah, uh, I can't try to remember who that was. Who said, uh, yeah, all your episode numbers are going to be really confusing for the next three while. This could be unauthorized. There's going to be uh, not found. <laughs> We're entering some murky territory in terms of our 404 numbers, yeah, which I thought was pretty funny. I thought that was really good. That was very creative. I wasn't expecting that. And I was like, what do you mean? I, I, oh, well played. Oh, well played. yeah. What about when we get to the 500s? We're going to be crashing the whole time. We've done that. Ah, Chris O'Connor. That's who said it. Yeah, Grumpy Wookie. Uh, grumpy Wookie. Yeah, yes, so Chris. Chris, good, um, nice witty comment there. But you are... Chris, you are authorized to listen to this. We have some other people who yes. are not. Probably the Azure AD team is probably not authorized to look at this, but that's okay. <laughs> they probably can't find it <laughs> because it's probably going to be down. <laughs> Considering they're having a hard time finding their own product this week. Yes. <laughs> podcasting should be the last thing on their list. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. So what you been up to this, this past week, CJ? Oh, you know, trying to log into Teams, <laughs> trying to log into 365. <laughs> Just the basics, you know? Yeah. Isn't it funny? Well, not funny. Actually, so we are, well, I'll save it for when we talk about the Azure AD outage. Some okay. of the other things I noticed that happened this last week. Yeah. But hey, as a follow-up to last week, was it last week? I can't remember if it was episode 399 or 400. We talked about Excel being a really widely used app. Mm -hmm. I, strangely enough, stumbled across upon an Ask Me Anything on Reddit from the Excel team. 
from oh, the product team. I saw those, yeah. Yeah, we'll link to this in the show notes, but if you're interested, they did an AMA last week, which was, uh, which was pretty entertaining. There's some funny, funny comments in there. And also we've reached out to one of our friends from the Excel team who's most likely going to come on the show. Yeah. So we've uh, we've got that interview coming up in the next few weeks, which will be pretty pretty cool. I'm curious if we're going to have to like break that interview up into multiple segments, like from A1 to like C4, and then again from like D15 to like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't find this. Sorry, we're on a different sheet now. <laughs> switch to switch to page two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have to keep going. The conditional formatting hasn't turned the cell green yet. We're still red. We haven't, t- we haven't finished off the topic. <laughs> <laughs> Got to hit recalculate, right? Exactly. Are these bad dad jokes for Excel? Is that, no. is that what we're doing here? You know, speaking of bad dad jokes, have you noticed how many people are like doing dad jokes on Facebook in the last couple of months? I don't know if it's just no. the, like my... Man, I got like two or three friends at one, and I want to say something like going, this is getting really annoying that all these dad... Like everyone thinks like a dad joke is a great thing to do right now. And... It's like every day some people are posting different things. And I want, and, huh. but I, I keep forgetting to say something on Facebook going, you know, this is really annoying to keep seeing this. The only time I remember it is when I see one and then I don't want to comment and say that because I don't want to think I'm targeting them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought you were leading me into a dad joke with this line of commentary. No? Okay. That's just an empty kind of. Um, I'm just complaining again. I just figured we'd start episode 401 with a, you know, what, we, what I do a lot of. Just complain. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that's, that's where we're at. So uh, the AMA for Reddit, from on Reddit for the Excel team, I stumbled across that. I've also started reading a book that you, I think it was you that recommended. I can't remember. It was about how to keep a sharp mind with Sanjay Gupta. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> that's part three, CJ. You got to get to the very end. Oh. Or part two. <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah, I'm not up to there yet. And other than that, suffering from my seasonal allergies of of pollen. I mowed the lawn for the first time yesterday in the backyard, and it's it's like I'd you know been to a funeral for one of my close family. Like it was, <laughs> I was just bawling, like with just all blocked up, and and I'm still suffering. Like you can probably tell. Yeah. So it's that time of the year. That time of the year. You need to wear your mask on. I mean, you should have plenty of those now. That's a perfect time. <laughs> I did consider it. Yeah. I've got a bunch of KN95s that I normally wear, and I thought I could put on one of those and mow the backyard. And then I thought, you know, the thing that stopped me hmm. was the neighbors. And I thought, if I go out there with a mask on and the neighbors see me mowing the yard with a mask on, they're going to think I'm completely nuts. And so I didn't. I have done that. When I've done, I do a lot of outside work and stuff is... Uh, blooming quite a bit here in Florida. Yeah, I've put a mask on to do that because it's for that exact same reason. Where it, because I'll go out and I'll spend a day just outside working outside, and yeah, it'll nail me as well. Like when the pine trees are blooming or are, are pollinating, and which is going on right now. Actually, we're, we're supposed to get a nice good storm this weekend, so I'm hoping that hoping a very solid two days of rain will wash a lot of it out and down. It's the hard one of the things I posted about this. I put this on the like on a Facebook poster. Twitter or whatever. The worst is when we get like a rain, but it's not like a gully washer and it's just a decent rain that knocks it out of the trees and then uh, yeah. everything dries up on the pavement and so all the gutters. So yellow. Yeah. You've got these like, you know, cake gutter like of just yellow stuff going down the sides. It's like. Yeah. We get that here too. Ah, uh, sucks. Yeah. So uh, a little blocked up from, okay, well maybe I will wear a mask next time I do it just for you and uh, see if it works. I'm sure it will. 
hell, if it doesn't, then they're not really doing much else, are they? <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, pollen's bigger than a, than a, than a COVID molecule or whatever, so it's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it should get exactly. you. Should help. Exactly. Pollen. Yeah. Anyway, how about you? Since we last spoke, which that was a lot of fun doing episode 400 last week, and it's been fun seeing the reaction from it. This past week, actually, since we spoke, though, I had the unfortunate slash fortunate experience of my family went out of town. I was supposed to catch up with them. They left on a Thursday. And I was supposed to catch up with them on Saturday and meet them in St. Petersburg, Florida. So there was a swim meet last weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They were going down to Orlando for the swim meet. And I was going to stay behind since I couldn't really get in to watch the swim meet with the COVID restrictions and stuff. So I then was going to rent a car and drive a one-way car down to St. Petersburg to meet my sister-in-law. And my kids were going to be down there. And my sister-in-law is, she's getting ready to do a big, a real big trip, a sailing trip where she's sailing around Florida and then up the East Coast. But she was selling her car and she's not going to need it on a sailing trip. So we were buying the car off of her for my son for his first car. So I was going to drive down there meet my family down there. We're going to spend a day just visiting with my sister-in-law. And then I was going to drive her car back with my son back from St. Pete. I Now, granted, part of this was logistics, like stupidity on my part of just waiting to the last minute. But I mean, we've all traveled and I've never had a problem doing this. Nobody anywhere around would rent me a one-way rental car on a 48-hour notice. Uh. Nobody. I mean, I looked... I tried everything. I called places. I went to, I called the airport. I called, well, called all the places at the airport. No one would do it. And I wonder if that's because there's so little rental car activity that they could never get them back. This is interesting, right? Because I couldn't figure it out. I mean, like a week before I had checked to make sure I could do it. And two weeks before I had checked, had no problem. Yeah. But it was like the last minute bit that I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. So I finally I had to I rent one. So I ended up doing that same trip, but I did it solo yesterday, drive from Jacksonville down to Tampa, St. Pete, pick up the car and drive that back yesterday. But I booked the car way like like almost a, about five or six days in advance, uh, once I realized that this wasn't gonna happen. And when I went to pick it up on Wednesday on Tuesday, I asked the place, I was at a Hertz, and I was like, You guys don't have anything here except for like those big box trucks. What what gives? What's the deal? Yeah. yeah. And, um, and frankly, my options were either a full-size, like, Chevy Suburban. I was like, no thank you. A minivan, which originally was a no thank you until I found out that was actually the best option. <laughs> the third option was a, a Porsche 911, but that was going to be three times as much as what I was already paying. So I was like, as much fun as that would be, I can't justify so it. So how no. much fun was it? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much right. So I ended up getting the minivan. I asked the guy, I was like, so what's up with this? And he's like... He said, well, at least with Hertz and with a bunch of other car companies he knows, first of all, a lot of people aren't flying, so they're renting cars and doing their trips that way. Mm. So the availability is lower. But also when the pandemic started, a lot of the rental car companies, when their business was way down, they sold their inventory thinking mm. they'll be able to buy a bunch of car, new cars back and just kind of refresh their inventory when things came back. They're still trying to refresh their inventory which they usually buy brand new cars from these different manufacturers. And a lot of them have scaled back their yep. manufacturing yeah, because, the, because the the chip shortage. Gotcha. Oh, you got to be kidding me. I say, yeah, but why can I get one? Why can I book one five days out instead of like a day or two out? And he's like, well, think about it. It's also spring break in Florida. Oh, uh, yeah. So the availability was was just crap. But huh. yeah, so my day yesterday was driving down to um, driving down to St. Pete. The cool part was, is driving down to St. Pete, I got to experience Apple CarPlay for the very first time. Holy crap, that is, CarPlay beats the 
beats the pants off what I have in my in my Tesla. Yeah. Oh my god. Very nice. Yes. Very very nice. I am mixed about Apple CarPlay. Oh. I guess it depends on the implementation in the car, but I have issues with it. Mm. Yeah. It's like you can switch between your car's systems or Apple CarPlay, but not a little bit of both. And it means weird stuff like if you go into what some of the car systems, mm-hmm. then like I don't know, your audio will stop playing on CarPlay. Yeah, but you can't get certain things. It's sort of like it's one or the other, and it's like it's not this. It's not as seamless as I would like. But anyway, I digress. I did notice that we got for my son. I guess driving driving back the car that we got him as a fourteen uh, year old uh, Toyota Highlander, one owner, two hundred thousand miles. I mean, it, it's in great shape. So it's like this makes a lot of sense. But as part of his birthday, we got him an aftermarket Sony radio that he and I are putting or installing this weekend that does CarPlay. And I noticed the same thing. I was like, the one thing I don't like about CarPlay is when like the car uses the screen for some of the other car settings and air conditioning yeah. and stuff like that. I'm like, there's no problem here because this 14-year-old car, there's nothing on a screen. So yeah. <laughs> CarPlay, CarPlay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It'll work great. Yeah. So, Brilliant. but anyway. It was, um, I'm looking forward to not being in a car for eight or nine hours today. Oh, yeah. Driving through Florida. Yeah, good call. Oh, the other thing, I got my first shot. I am now officially microchipped by Bill Gates. Oh, I thought you meant whiskey. Okay, yeah, congratulations. And I have a strange urge to buy Microsoft products, but I hear that's pretty normal. You were saying that you wanted to do this over Teams today and not over Zoom like we normally do. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I can't help myself. I'm even digging out my Zoom. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. I've got it over there, actually. I might, yeah. It's a very strange urge. That, and also, like, whenever I get a text message on my phone, I have this undying urge to stand up and yell, can you hear me now? <laughs> and it's like, I'm not sure. I've never done that before, but mm. it's it's changed me, man. You do have, like, a blocky kind of an interface today. Is it, like, I don't know if it's yeah. a... <laughs> I can't tell where to start you, though. That's still, it doesn't seem like that made it into this virus. Uh, vaccine. yeah. Yeah, this vaccine. Yeah, who knows what else is in there? Next I'll be buying, you know, I don't know, handbags for the missus and all sorts. <laughs> who sponsored the vaccine? Yeah, anyway. Yeah. I uh, digress. But yes, first shot, you know, these wait lists and stuff. My wife was smart enough to get us on a wait list and they called us up and said, hey, we have some extra. If you get here in 30 minutes, it's yours. Mm-hmm. So we all shot down there and got a jab in our arm. So yeah. I'm ready to go running around town licking handrails. <laughs> We're doing, we did the same thing. We got our, we put our name on Alyssa at the local pharmacy in our grocery store. It's interesting when you talk to them, like how that works, where once they take it out of the freezer, the Pfizer or the Moderna, once they take it out, they can't put it back in. Got to use it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like frozen turkey, right? You can't, or frozen chicken. Like once it's out, you can't refreeze it. So like that day. So why toss it and just go through and I'll just jab you up. So yeah, there's a bunch of lists around like that, that. You know, just make sure none of it goes to waste. Before we get started with this, I do, before we get started with our show, there is one thing I do want to highlight here. I want to highlight it part because it's, they're one of our sponsors, but I want to also highlight it because I want to tease up next week's show. So we are, one of our sponsors is ShareGate. They've been a fantastic sponsor of ours for many, many years. And we started talking to them about doing an episode like this last year. I think it might've been even two August ago, like in 2019. In Seattle. And the idea is, is that they went through and they did like a, they were going to do like a state of the Microsoft 365. And it's going to be like talks about modernization and migration and security, all this stuff. And they started going through and working on this survey, but they've collected a ton of information, especially about this whole work from home thing and people migrating from over to the cloud. 
they have some interesting insights into this, into this topic, because they have a tool that a lot of people use to help the migration, help manage the governance and everything of your Microsoft 365 environment. Well, what's neat about this is that they've been able to take some of this knowledge that they've collected, surveyed a bunch of customers, did a bunch of surveys from observations from the industry, and they've put together this really comprehensive report that they're publishing. So I know we're recording today on the 18th, and chapter one of this report is available today as you and I are recording this. This episode is going to come out on the 22nd, but they're going to publish the majority of it on, sorry, this episode is coming out on the 23rd of March. By the time this episode airs, the full thing will be available. The full uh, report will be available that people can take a look at. So I definitely go take a look at it. It's really cool. I've, I've read the, it's really interesting as I've read the first, the first chapter for this. We're going to have someone from ShareGate join us next week in our interview, our next episode in 402 that comes out, where we're going to talk about this report, talk about some of the observations that they've had, some things that they've learned and stuff to where you can learn more. So uh, if you're interested, you can go sign up and get the report now. It's completely, it's freely available. You can go get it now. And then you can also tune in next week in episode 402, where you can learn more about this. So I definitely want to definitely want to highlight that because it's a it's a pretty cool thing that they've that they've put together. Also, it is a free report. Yes. Payment is not required despite it's our 402 episode. <laughs> HTTP 402 means payment required. It's true. That's, so that is not required for this report. You will have to pay to listen to the episode. The the, yeah, the, the, the we'll have a paywall. <laughs> I'm looking forward to these. This is going to be good. Yeah, paypal.me slash Andrew Connell. Yeah, that's okay. You can actually 402 for 402. There you go. $402 for, four, for 402. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. Cool. All right, let's jump into the news. Let's do it. This episode is sponsored by Raygun. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy application experience for your customers? With Raygun application performance monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to find and fix errors and performance problems across your tech stack down to the line of code. With Raygun, monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify and resolve issues, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers, saving you time, money, and sanity. I've personally used Raygun and Hyperfish for the last four years to help me sleep better at night knowing the customers we've worked so hard to get are having a great experience. We use Raygun to alert engineers proactively so that we can be the ones to tell customers when we've fixed the problem instead of them calling us to say something's wrong. Raygun.com is my secret weapon in shipping high-quality code. Check it out at raygun.com and get up and running in minutes. And now, back to the show. All right, CJ, so for the first time ever, Azure AD went down this past week. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) There was an epic outage on, I believe it was Tuesday. No, was it Tuesday or Wednesday? Monday. It was a couple of days ago. Well, hold on. The last update was a couple of days ago on the root cause. Monday's when it went down. So that was, the outage has got a a code. Uh, We'll have a link to it in the show notes where you can go read about it in your Azure portal. But it was, the code for it is LN, as in Lima, Nancy, 01-P, as in Papa, 8Z is in Zulu, right? Wow, so, nice work. I tried. Yeah, I tried. I have my cheat sheet up, though. So the idea, what happened here is at around 4 p.m. Eastern time, 1 p.m. Pacific, 19 UTC, I think, Azure AD, so explain, I'll explain a little bit about what happened here. And then you and I have some interesting kind of comments or, or observations for this that I, that I found this to be interesting because this one really seemed to wreak havoc 
compared to a lot of previous ones that we've seen. I know a lot of stuff, oh, Teams is offline or I can't log in here, but there's a lot of other stuff that really broke. So what happened with this is that you have to understand a little bit of how tokens, how keys work. So when you obtain an access token from Azure AD, so when you have a system that goes to log in and it obtains an access token, which you use for future requests to get access to different things, to like Microsoft Graph or to SharePoint or how Teams logs in, all kinds of stuff like that. When you get that access token, it's got a bunch of information and it. it's a JSON, basically a JSON object. And then what Azure does is it has a public-private key pair to where the private key is only available for Microsoft. Like they use it and they take the entire JSON token that's created, JSON string that's taken, and they digitally sign it. And then they take that digital signature and they add it to the token. All right. So what you then do when you take that token what you're supposed to do as the developer or as the person that's connecting, that uses that token from Azure AD, number one, you already have a trust established. And that's not like a thing that you create, but you literally, you're, you just say, hey, I trust Azure AD. And so what you do to validate that that token came from Azure AD is you query a specific endpoint, a well-known endpoint that Azure AD publishes and has a list of a couple different public keys. And if you look at the, the JSON token that you received, it'll tell you which one that it, which one it was signed with. And then you look up, find that, that public key from that Azure publishes, and you use that to also encode the or to, to, to decode it and to get the exact same digital signature and say, hey, look, if the token that I've received, if I decode it and I get this exact same string that Azure AD provided in the token, then that says to me, I can have a, a, a high level of trust or I can have, a, I have confidence that this was only created by Azure AD, even though I'm getting it from somebody else, right? So you validate it, right? You validate, I, I validate it. You're able to validate that it came from Azure. Exactly, yeah. So, and developers are like going, I never do that. It's like, well, it's because things like, if you use MSAL, MSAL does this for you behind the scenes. So you don't have to validate the token. They validate it as part of when you go to get the token, you go to send it off. Graph is going to validate a token that they receive from you, etc. So what happened was, is these keys are rotated on a, on a schedule. They just change every once in a while. And what happened as part of this outage was that there was a long-running migration project that was going on. And so Azure flagged one of the keys to say, don't delete this one. Leave this one in place because this one's being used by a bunch of other, by a bunch of things. And it needs to be available for a long-running experience. Well, the process that was supposed to respect that don't delete this didn't respect it, and it did delete it. And so what happened was, is that all of these keys that were being retrieved and sent from Azure AD to back to Azure, places like Graph, places like how Teams was using it, when they got these and they saw that the key was gone, they're like, this, these aren't valid tokens. And so everything started, they basically started saying, you need to go log in again because the token you're giving me isn't valid. So login started failing across the board. Yeah. Azure figured this out and they started rolling it back. It took about, it, now it's interesting because in, in the root cause analysis, it basically says it took about 25 minutes for this, for the fix to kick in. But that's not the experience that the world, that the world had because it was down for at least an hour. And there was a lot of other like trickle down effect things that were going on for at least until the next morning when they they said it was finally mitigated when you woke up. But what was interesting about this that I had never seen before, not, it was affecting logins to a lot of stuff. Like people couldn't log into Teams, people couldn't log into their Azure portal. 
the one that was scary was that when you did log into your Azure portal, you looked at your Azure subscription and nothing was there. It was like, they're like, hey, you want to get started with Azure? Click here to get started and create your first resource. I'm like, where the hell are my things? What? <laughs> yep, yep. So looking at the root looking at the root cause, it says it started between 1900 UTC and well, yeah, they said yeah, started at 1900 UTC and the mitigation was complete at 9 or oh, sorry, at 2105 UTC, so 9 p.m. UTC. Okay, that changed. So that's that's two and a half. Yeah, that's a fair amount of time. But they also say that that between 1900 UTC on the 15th of March and 925 UTC on the 16th, customers may have ex- encountered errors. So that's like, even though they put the mitigation in that evening UTC, only a couple of hours after the problem, it might have been almost more than 12 hours before customers stopped noticing impacts mm-hmm. or stopped seeing impacts. Yeah, because I remember when I woke up the next morning, I was still getting text messages that was that had been going like over the night and were still going on that morning that were saying that there were still mitigation efforts were still in place. It was still recovering. Yeah. And then it wasn't until like mid morning that I got a text that was like, everything's been mitigated. Everything should be fine now. Now, when that was going on, like for me, I was able to get back into my stuff like that evening, the evening that it happened. But for the first couple hours, it definitely was a firestorm. And what, there was a lot of, like, not only was it like logging into Azure and I didn't see resources, that was one thing I had never seen. But the other thing I had never seen before was that this is the one that really started raising my raising my flag, like going, you know, otherwise it's just another run of the mill Azure AD outage, which unfortunately that's a bad <laughs> attitude to have. But it's like, well, we've seen this before, so no surprise. What was more concerning about this one was when I started getting emails from third-party services that I use that are connected to my N365 account or to something in Azure. Oh, yeah. And they started sending me, like Zap, when Zapier sent me an email saying, I started getting a flood of Zapier emails going, yeah, your Zaps are failing because you need to log in again. And effectively, when you kind of pick under the air, you're like, the tokens are invalidated. I'm like, was there just a security issue that you guys just invalidated all these tokens that were already out there? That's one thing that raised my, that raised my interest. But the other one that you and I were talking about when this happened, when I woke up the next morning and I asked a few friends, I was like, you guys that had like Microsoft Graph stuff, why wasn't that failing left and right with these tokens you guys were receiving during this process? I would have expected 401s and 403s flying like crazy during, yeah. at least during that first two hours of that outage. We didn't have that. So in the software that I run, we weren't seeing massive graph issues mm-hmm. with the tokens we were using against graph. So um, yeah, I'm not sure about that. We asked the graph team about it and be careful about, be careful what I say here because I don't want to insinuate something that is not correct. But yeah. their response was that even though the keys were removed from Azure AD, if the application had still cached the keys and they were still in cache, then that's what would have been used for deep for validating the tokens. That's why it's still, in other words, graph, my interpretation of that, which could be wrong, but my interpretation of that is graph wasn't going to Azure AD to validate the tokens. Graph said, we got stuff from Azure AD that we were continuing to use in our cache when Azure AD wasn't available. And so we kept going with that. It, it raised some questions to me, but I don't. Yeah, I don't want to bring those up because I'm, I very well could be like, you're making a security issue out of something that's not really a security issue. And I don't. I don't want to do that because I don't want to. I don't want to claim I'm a security expert. Some stuff just kind of felt a little weird to me. But I was like, 
Okay. I mean, yeah. clearly the people that have built Graph are, are sharp and they've gone through security reviews with all the PII data that's already in there. So I don't want to I don't want to say that they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> no, no, fair enough. It took out some really weird services though. So as you know, I've been playing FlightSim. Took out FlightSim. Oh no. Yeah. And people couldn't start the game. And it's because it uses Xbox game services. Oh. And so you have to log in. Mm-hmm. And so logins were failing. And everybody, <laughs> you know, the armchair quarterbacks of the gaming world were just like, you know, ready to march to the gates of Bill's house and burn it down. <laughs> and <laughs> without, I mean, fair enough, their game, well, he probably, work, I suppose, they were upset. He might have been saying there were a crap ton of vaccines, like going, sweet, now that you're all here, let me just go through and jab you. I'm just going to jab you. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, it affected some really weird things like that. So things you wouldn't necessarily expect, I guess. But I ran a little poll on Twitter, which is quite funny. I said, which of it is this? A, I think it was like A, Azure AD, B, SSL, C, DNS. I can't remember what the other one was. There was all the one. above. <laughs> Might have been all all the-, the above. I can't remember. I would put this in the SSL category because I think that's the closest. It's definitely sort of cryptographic key related and most SSLs issues are because of certs expiring and stuff. And this was kind of rolling rolling the equivalent of certs kind of. So um, I put it in the SSL category. So here's the irony behind this is that the outage that happened in September of last year of 2020, Microsoft's in their review, they identified a couple things and said, all right, here are two things we're going to change, or two, which may have a bunch of subtasks to them, but here are two major changes that we're going to make to Azure AD to ensure that this doesn't happen again. Phase one had already rolled out. Phase two rollout was supposed to have been completed by the middle of 2021. And ironically, the phase two, because it's a much more complicated rollout that involves a bunch of different things. Ironically, phase two would have kept this from happening. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so that's in the RCA. If you go read the RCA, and and there's going to be more in-depth RCA that should be available. By the time this episode comes out, there's supposed to be more in-depth one that's available. It's within five days of the incident. So they should have another one out either on March the 20th or 21st, which would be over the weekend which our show comes out on Tuesday, so this is going to come out before the the show comes out, or the RCA will. If there's an updated one, we'll definitely include it in the show notes so people can take a look at it. But yeah, this was just, it was really interesting to watch this. The tweets and stuff, we had a little bit of fun with it on Twitter, on the page. We were going to say that on our yeah. the podcast one, I put something out that said something like, you know, we were going to do a show on Azure AD today, but somehow we can't find our notes. So does anybody have an idea what we should cover now? Yeah. Azure AD's not, <laughs> apparently Azure AD's not available. Some people like took. They got the joke. Some people were like, "What about talking about this instead?" I'm like, "No, that was a joke. We're good. We can still trust me. This is definitely going to be talked about on the show. (laughs) Regardless, regardless, we know what it was. We definitely are going to talk about this on the show." (laughs) Yeah, another Azure AD incident. You know what's curious about this is like when they have issues, it seems to affect the whole world. Yeah, they'll often have an issue and it like takes out all of Azure AD. It doesn't seem to be resilient to. It doesn't seem like geographic. Some of these issues are not like geographically resilient, if that makes sense, you know, Mm -hmm. or geographically compartmentalized. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Which makes me wonder, it's a massive monolith that as soon as something happens, it takes the whole lot down and we're all screwed. And that makes me freak out that 
how much we depend on it for certain things like, man, what am I going to do if I can't log into FlightSim? And I saw some people on Twitter going, you know, this is making me rethink our dependencies like on, on a single point of failure like Azure AD. I understand that mindset. I mean, it's like, you know, Azure AD is to Azure as S3 uh, US East is to AWS, right? It's like that. Right. It seems in everything in Amazon, like Microsoft. I, so with, with in Microsoft Azure, you know, everything is founded on Azure AD. It's the cornerstone of everything. All services authenticate with it. You get all these other third-party services that Microsoft provides, like Teams and Microsoft 365 that rely on Azure AD. So they all rely on it. And then you look over at the AWS world, and it's like, everything's resilient. It's like, except for the fact that all these AWS services are all dependent upon things that are dependent upon AWS S3. Specifically, we've all picked US East and US East 2 as the two regions we're going to focus on. Yes, yes. It's kind of like when people say that, when they say, like, oh, it makes me rethink our our dependencies. I kind of look at the, like, the, especially for Azure AD, like, well, how are you going to, how are you going to make that, how are you going to do that? How are you going to be able to do? Are you, going to, are you seriously going to offer multiple ways to authenticate and not have like a, a single point that they can authenticate with? At how do you going? To, so I get it. I'd rather deal with these problems than having to do password and authentication stuff on my own app. Oh yeah. I wonder when this is going to be over. Like, I mean, is it ever going to be over? Is it ever going to get like serious? It's. I love. No, to there go are back. always going to be problems. And that is, are there? I mean, at some point, like. Microsoft finally, you know, said, all right, fine, we're going to take the technical debt and we're going to build Vista and lock down the OS so that we can't, you know, to, to address the virus problem that, micro, that that Windows has. And I know it was a, you know, they swung way to one end of the pendulum and people, and then they had to back, they had to make things a little bit more friendly, or at least now we got through the pain and now it's Windows 7 and everyone loves that. Are we going to have one of those kind of moments with this? Mm, who knows? Time will tell. I think things will get better, sure. But there are always going to be glitches, right? And that's uh, how we handle them. We'll cover that in episode 500 when everything goes down. <laughs> There's a server error. All right, so moving on from Azure AD, I have a handful of Microsoft 365 Message Center updates that I want to... I'm going to blade, I'm going to zoom, or sorry, not zoom. I'm going to race or go, go through these kind of at a quicker pace because they're not... They're fairly... Um, well, there's a bunch of them, but I just want to go through and highlight a couple. So first of all, Message Center 244487 is titled Announcing the Availability of DLP Datasets in Microsoft 365 Activity Explorer. You're soon going to be able to view these datasets within the Microsoft 365 Compliance Center Activity Explorer. This goes along with a roadmap. They're going to start rolling out a preview capability in early March. GA should be available in mid-April. There's nothing you really end up having to do here. It's just going to be making these data sets available to you to be able to check some of this stuff out. The next one is a change to SharePoint. SharePoint Classic Site Usage Reports are going to be moved to a new link. Message Center ID 244687. This one's kind of like trivial, but instead of the um, site usage reports on a classic site, being in a link that's titled Popularity and Search Reports Alert. It's now going to be titled <laughs> Search Reports Alert. I, it's amazing that we have to have these kind of announcements. But okay, we got one. <laughs> yeah. Just for all of you that are baffled that these still exist. Exactly, yeah. Product. They still exist in the product, and they're getting a new name. Yeah, exactly. So if you, need, if you have written documentation and you want to do a search and replace, you're good. Uh, message Center 244744. This is for all you people that are using Yammer out there. 
Oh, I didn't hear anything. Okay. Didn't think so. <laughs> it's the release of new Yammer desktop experience and retirement of existing Yammer desktop experience. So basically, we are just kind of taking one away and putting one back. This is announced at Ignite. Oh, sorry. Ignite November 2020. That the new Yammer experience and capabilities will now be available in the current available to current Yammer desktop app users, either through the Communities app in Microsoft Teams or the new Yammer desktop experience in the form of a PWA, a progressive web app. So is this so that you can now not be able to find things on the desktop as well as when you're on your, when you're on your phone? And on Teams. Got it. The next one is, let's see, Message Center 244888, Excel Trust Center. There's a new option to block Excel 4.0 XLM macros. I don't think I need to go much farther than that. Huh. Next one is Message Center 242585. This one is Microsoft Edge WebView 2 runtime will be installed on all devices running Microsoft 365 apps. So this replaces the WebView control that was there, or this is seen as, as a replacement for the WebView control that used the old Internet Explorer mm. implementation for apps that were hosting a browser experience inside of them. This WebView 2 control uses the, the newer one. Gotcha. And then Message Center 242586 is Planner's new roster containers. And what this is, is uh, this is a new type of container and planner that's going to allow plans to be created independent of an M365 group. That's interesting. The title, it actually says M365 group, yet there was an, a blast that went around that was telling everybody inside Microsoft to not refer to Microsoft 365 as M365, except it's here. Huh. Continuing on with the announcement, oh, they did it again, too. Valid AAD. AAD is not a valid acronym for inside Microsoft, but they did it here anyway. This will be enabled by roster containers which is a simple list of members stored in Planner that contain any user with a valid Azure AD ID in that tenant. They're calling the plans contained by rosters, roster plans. Got it. That's a lot of stuff. Right. In slightly wider industry news, Auth0 has been bought. Did you see this news? This was big. It's huge. With a B. If you're not familiar with Auth0, it's well famous for two things. One, making it really simple to add authentication to your apps, and the second is that Vittorio works there. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, Vittorio, the identity guy, right? Vittorio. Long flowing hair. He's the the Italian Fabio, (laughs) except he knows identity. Works. It works. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, they bought, sorry, Okta has bought Auth0. So Okta are kind of a competitor to Azure Active Directory, I would say. AAD might not think that, and Okta probably wouldn't necessarily say that, I suppose. The marketing doesn't say that, but in, a, in, a, in effect, yeah, they're competitors. You know, Okta is kind of like that, That oh, gosh, what's, I guess, it's a cloud directory. There you go. Mm-hmm. It's a cloud version of Azure AD. Hold on, Azure AD is cloud. It's a cloud version of identity. It's a cloud identity. Yeah, exactly. And you use it to go log into all your apps, and companies use it to federate authentication between all of their things. Uh, so now they're adding Auth0 to their mix, and they paid $6.5 billion US dollars, which is a staggering amount of money. My guess, it's not a very educated one, is that Okta want to make it easy to bake authentication into all your apps, your apps that you're building and other app experiences, and so they needed a bunch of tech to do that. Mm. So Auth0 gets them there. Mm. But, well, I mean, huge congratulations to the Auth0 team. The 
Bellevue property prices are not going to do well from this acquisition because <laughs> Auth0 are based in Bellevue. Mm-hmm. Our real estate market's going to get even worse than it already is with a bunch of other millionaires and billionaires driving around. But pretty cool for a bunch of friends that are there. So um, Okta buying up a storm. That's a really big move. And it's the post that we have that we link to, it does a pretty good job of explaining, you know, where the overlap is and why they did it. There's some good commentary from around the industry about, you know, what this is going to mean to the to the industry. I mean, it, it, I'm really curious to see what comes of this over the next year once this deal is closed. Because it's providing Okta an additional capability in the identity space, in the cloud identity space, that they were starting to build on. But this really makes it as you've got Azure AD that's out there for that's Microsoft centralized. And then you've got Okta out there as well now that's doing this. And there's other identity providers that are out there. Facebook, Twitter, Google's got as well. I think that Azure AD and Okta seem to be the more prevalent in the corporate space, in the enterprise space. So it's going to be really, it's going to be curious to see like what, how much more of Okta that you end up seeing. Okta doesn't, you see a lot more like sign in with Microsoft 365. You don't see as much sign in with Okta type stuff on different sites, even though it's very widely used in the industry. Even if a company is using Okta, often they'll still be signing in with, you know, their AD credentials or Office 365 credentials and things like that. And Okta is kind of like this, I guess, octopus, right? It's a thing with a bunch of tentacles into different systems and sort of orchestrating the identity between them all. So, um, yeah, it will be interesting. It was an all-stock deal, strangely enough. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Auth0 folks must really believe in the better-together story for that to land. And it was equaled 21% of Okta's market cap. So they bought something that was a fifth of their size market cap, I suppose, which is a fairly, that's a big chunk. Mm-hmm. It's a big pill to swallow. So good on them. I mean, uh, it's great to see some of the stuff uh, going on in the market. Absolutely. Absolutely. How about you? What do you got for us? I just lost my notes. Hold on. I'm coming oh. back. Oh, there they are. Another back. Sorry. You want to talk about what's new in the SharePoint framework 1.12? 1.12? How about I say that SharePoint framework has a new release of 1.2? There's nothing really new here in this release other than, I guess, it's Interesting. Why release? Well, bugs? No, this one's an interesting release. We haven't had a release in over in almost eight months or over eight months. And the big thing with this release that I could say is like, I wouldn't call it new. It's more of a change is that the SharePoint framework developer tooling has been supported only up to Node 10, Node.js v10 up to now, or actually up to earlier this week, uh, this past week before this release. Whereas the long the LTS version, the current one is version 14, but version 10 had, was going to be end of life by the end of April. So they had to do this by the end of April. What this release does is it adds support for Node V12. The intent was to also do Node V14 as well in this release, but there were some... The Node community or the Node Foundation made some major changes in Node 14 that changes the way a lot of stuff works. There's a lot of projects that the SharePoint framework team depends on that have not been fully updated to have a clean, have a great Node 14 or reliable Node 14 experience. So there's some things that the SharePoint framework team, they could have done, but it's kind of one of those like, well, 
if we go to, this is not them saying this, this is more me. It's like, we can put forth a ton of effort to make it work with Node 14, or we can just wait a little bit longer and do another release that will support Node 14. Between you and me, I know that nobody's listening to this right now. It pretty much works on Node 14, but it's not fully supported by Microsoft right now. We will see it there. They have said that there will be another release coming in with SharePoint Framework in 2025. No, no. Well, they say in the next couple of weeks or the next month or so, but I see. the track record isn't really, doesn't hold up with that. The one thing that I do find that was interesting in this, as part of this release, I don't want to, it's not really a release thing because this is just more of a, hey, look, we made this work on in SharePoint Online, but it has nothing to do with the SharePoint Framework release today or this week, is that they gave us the ability if that if you build a SharePoint framework component that you want to use in Microsoft Teams, we have this button inside the app, the tenant app catalog where you can say sync to Teams. And what the SharePoint framework does is it looks at your it looks at your SharePoint framework components and says, oh look, here's one that's a web part that's flagged to be used as a tab inside Microsoft Teams. I'll build the Microsoft Teams app manifest on the fly from what you already have in the package. And then I'll also build the Microsoft Teams app package and go publish that over to the Teams app store for your tenant. Yeah. They also previously had said that if you wanted to use your own Microsoft Teams app manifest, then put that in the project, we'll detect it, we'll use yours instead of creating our own. I personally never saw that work. They said it worked a couple of times. There were people who had varying degrees of success, but to me, it never ended up working. What's new, what they've recently done is they've, given us the ability to now say, don't give us your manifest. Instead, if you give us the entire Teams package, so it's got to be a specific file name inside the Teams folder, if it sees that package, then it won't even create anything and it'll just take your package and deploy that after it deploys the SharePoint Framework component. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so the reason I like that is that now we have the ability to build what the SharePoint team is calling complex team scenarios. But really what that means is if you want to build a Teams app that uses some stuff from the SharePoint framework, we don't have to add, quote, support for it. Now you just kind of, you can just do it. Do it yourself. Yeah, yeah you can do it yourself. If you want to wire it up to a bot that you've deployed somewhere else, you can do that. You don't. It doesn't have to be a SharePoint framework-y kind of thing because you build the manifest yourself. Right. They're bucketing that inside of this release, but it has nothing to do with this release. So they're just using it as kind of like, hey, we're going to have this announcement as well. It's kind of like, to me, it's one of those like, hey, there's not a whole lot in 1.12, so we're going to throw this in there as well to make it look like there's more in 1.12. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Interesting. Okay, well, it's a release. First time in, what did you say, nine months? Good grief. Eight months, yeah. I think it was July or August of last of 2020 when they did the last release. Right, roll. Excellent. What you got for us? A quantum backtrack. So Microsoft had a quantum breakthrough that they published in a research paper in 2018 that now they're recanting and saying that mistakes were made and apologized for insufficient scientific rigor. (laughs) Oops. So, yeah, so they published this paper back in 2018 claiming a bunch of, you know, interesting science around quantum computing and evolutionary... Remember they made this... They made a bunch... They had, like, shiny things that looked like, you know, strange gin distilleries on stage and stuff like that. Yeah, Ignite. That was really, it was really cool. Yeah, and I'm sure some of that's still valid, right? This, you know, this is not all the research is being thrown out. But Microsoft was saying that they'd made some some breakthroughs and discoveries of this other type of quantum state or some shit. Pardon my French. That's all gibberish to me. But um, yeah, and then apparently it's not quite as simple as that. And, uh, and they're having to 
and it went back track and saying, well, actually, our science might not have been so good. <laughs> so a little bit of a uh, correction in the paper, you know, or having to uh, clarify that it might need a bit more work. Yeah, it's too bad they didn't do that. This is a classic. One of the re- one of the researchers in the field says, this is an excellent example of how not to do scientific research. Ouch. That is, jump to conclusions before they are warranted. Ouch. Ouchies. Yeah. That's, Scathing. That's a bit of a burn. I'm going to need some ointment on that one. Speaking of backtracking or decommitting, there has been some nice news that has come out recently that if you've been one to provide feedback to Microsoft for many different products, Microsoft 365 especially, you are familiar with a a site called User Voice, which is a third party, independent party from Microsoft that they provide the ability for you to submit feedback for their products, specifically around like changes and new feature requests. And then you get a certain number of votes that you can use to go through and to add in, to add votes to certain things and add comments and, and main, be able to track like the status of it. Well, apparently, Microsoft has decided that they no longer want to use User Voice and they are decommitting from User Voice and have kind of internally sent out a message to all groups at Microsoft saying, stop using it and move on. Now, there, there's another thing that they're going to do to replace this. I've heard some different stories from inside Microsoft on like what happened, that it was, there was like a PII thing and everyone kind of flipped out and they were like, all right, we're moving on. We're not going to use it. And then user voice kind of got word of this and they're like, what's the problem? And then someone said, well, here's the problem. And user voice is like, well, we can fix that. If that's all it is, then we can fix that. And apparently, well, the barn door, the tube was already, out, the toothpaste was already out of the tube. And it's like, <laughs> mm. Of course, that's all like rumors and hearsay. I don't know if that's exactly what happened, but this is just messy. And there's a lot of people that are like, wait a minute, so how are we supposed to do this? Because customers are asking, what the hell are we doing? But then other groups like Microsoft Teams is like, we will have guidance for this going going forward. We will be moving off of off of this, off of user voice. But right now we're still on user voice. What an absolute cluster. So like Microsoft put out a page about it on their support side about user voice pages, and it says we will leverage first-party solutions for customer feedback, a.k.a. we'll either build something or you just have to use the feedback tools that are built into the product as opposed to what user voice offers. But it doesn't say anywhere what they're going to move to other than a classic Microsoft answer, which is, quite frankly, pathetic, which is six links to different places where you can communicate with Microsoft, including the Windows Feedback Hub, the Microsoft Store. (laughs) What? (laughs) If I walk in, okay, how do I either walk into the physical Microsoft Store or the digital one and ask, can I see a feature list where I can vote on which ones I think would be most important to add? Like what Microsoft Q&A, Microsoft Tech Community, and in-product experiences what an absolute cop-out. There's another issue that's going on in Microsoft where they're trying to get people to switch over to yet another forum solution for asking questions and getting support called Microsoft Q&A. But MSDN forums are still around and tech community forums are still around and you've got GitHub repos that are still... And it's, it is so... My, I don't, I've given feedback on this. There's a survey that's going around from Microsoft right now about support and everything. And I gave my feedback to someone. Someone's like, there are people that actually really care about this. And I... You know, my friend that said that, I mean, I get what you're saying, but from the outside, I'm sorry. This is just bullshit. This is, yet again, 
it still feel Microsoft still feels, and I don't think they care about this because if they did, something would actually be done. And it's not a multi-year like rollout. Well, if they did, there'd be a solution before cutting off the person's head, right? Exactly. And what's frustrating about it is that when you do stuff with Microsoft, any Microsoft technology, so many things are intertwined now. You have to figure out, you've got to get the map that shows you where everything is to be able to get to get support or to ask questions. But everything is different depending on the product that you're using. And it is so damn frustrating. You got a product like Microsoft Teams that is built on top of SharePoint and is leveraging other and OneDrive and is leveraging all these other products from Microsoft. So you want to give Teams feedback? Every once in a while, the Teams team is like going, oh, yeah, that, that's not a SharePoint thing. That's not a Teams thing. That's a SharePoint thing. You need to give the feedback over to the SharePoint team. Like, customers don't give a damn. It's like, can you give us, like, this is from feedback to questions to support. The one thing that I've learned is that the worst thing to do to go try and get support from Microsoft or to provide feedback is to actually go to Microsoft and do that. Use the third-party stuff. Use Reddit. Use Stack Overflow. Use GitHub repos to do that stuff. Otherwise, it's just a complete... You're going in a black hole. You're going in a black hole and your stuff might make it out. It's probably not going to make it out. But it's, you know, it, I feel like it's just as good as... I'd rather just have one email address that says feedback at microsoft.com that had an autoresponder with that's good feedback, thanks. <laughs> it feels like that would be almost as effective. I don't know what's behind this move. I'd love to know what the root cause for this is of why they think they can't use user voice anymore. It's probably some PII thing or some data ownership problem they've got with them or something like that. But that's just my guess. I don't really know. I would have guessed the same. I mean, I get it. I wouldn't have my product feedback going to some other third party. I mean, that's... Right. So build a better solution or provide a better option, not just, you know, cut off the current one you've got before you've got an alternative answer. And sending me to the Microsoft store to ask for feature suggestions is not a good idea. Yeah, exactly. When this came up, someone was like going, well, how do other people end up doing it? I'm like, how do other people do it? Let them know. Let's take a look at Apple, where you can do one of two things. You can go to the Apple forums to submit a support question and give product feedback where people do engage, or you can go set up a Genius Bar appointment. That's it. That's it. Oh, but how do you do it for an iPad? Same answer. How do you do it for a Mac? Same answer. How do I do it for my AirPods? Same answer. How do I do it for my $50,000 expensive Mac Pro that I got that's getting great cheese as well? Same damn answer. <laughs> the old it's cheese grater. Why yeah. is it so damn hard? I don't get it. It's not hard. They're doing a great job of making it hard. I'm climbing off the soapbox. Yeah, fair enough. How about some fun stuff? Uh, yeah, let's do it. All right. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. Mr. Johnson, what pick do you have for us this week? I have a Ars Technica article that I thought was quite interesting. It's entitled, How Does the Brain Interpret Computer Languages? Neuroscientists Detect a Distinct Brain Network That Grows Stronger with Practice. So there's this argument going on, apparently I had no idea about this, that there are two schools on how to teach people how to code. One is that you teach people to code like you would teach them a foreign language, mm -hmm. which I had no idea about. I didn't even know that was an option. And the other was that you sort of teach them about algorithms and logic and, and things like that, and sort of the mathematical approach to computer languages. And so there's this, apparently there's this competing approaches. 
And so much so that like in Texas, Oklahoma and Georgia, high school students can take computer science to fulfill their foreign language credits. Huh. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Interesting, huh? But there is debate on it. Anyway, so this article talks about the brain's response to coding and how how you learn how to code effectively mm-hmm. and how, how your brain responds and builds up its its ability to understand software and code and how you write it, but also how you read it as well and how that's a bit different. Yeah, I just thought it was kind of fascinating because I've always wondered, you know, like I suck at foreign languages. Like I've never learned another language properly. And I know bits and pieces, but nothing serious. Yet I have no problem with computer software like code. Well, some would argue I do, but, (laughs) you know, I could read and write a bunch of different coding languages and so, yeah, I feel it's really different than foreign language, learning foreign languages, but that, that might just be me. Maybe there's no science behind that. That's really interesting. I hadn't seen this article. Thanks, sir. I'm going to definitely go read this. It's not long. It's, it's pretty straightforward. My daughter's learning this. She's in elementary school, uh, seventh grade, and she's got a computer coding class that she's doing right now. First, like 20% was like HTML and CSS. I know. Let's not have the argument about is that coding. There was another like 15% in the middle that was all about like algorithms. And then the majority of the class is her learning Python. So I'm asking her, I'm like, going, hey, would you let me know when you're learning Python? Because I kind of like to, yeah, I'd like to learn it a yeah. little bit. I mean, is it, there's, I'm playing with, my pick's going to be kind of related to this. So I'm learning something on the side and the app is completely written in Python. And, you know, Python's big in like the machine learning and, education space and it's just it's so different than what i normally do i'd like to just just kind of make you think about stuff in a little bit different way so like python and go are the two that i really want to like i want to dig into more yeah that's this is interesting go i think is probably more my thing but uh yeah anyway so apparently they basically conclude that no it is it is quite different than learning a foreign language but you benefit the most from starting young which is not exactly a scientific breakthrough no i think that would go for anything yeah exactly yeah how about you? What do you got for us this week? So I've been playing with Home Assistant a lot more over the last couple of weeks. I well, I played a lot with it right at the and when I initially like dove into it, and then I had to like focus on delivering a bunch of stuff. So now I get to actually go back to it. Now that it, I have everything migrated in my house over on Home Assistant from Smart Things, I have my basic automations all set up. The next thing I have to do is start creating like my dashboards and update the kiosk that I use in the house for like home security stuff. But absolutely love Home Assistant compared to uh, what I was using for smart things and like the other kiosk solution I was using. Big hat tip to Wichter Whelan for answering all my questions about it. But <laughs> what I found that was interesting was that there was a there's some stuff that I've been kind of like you know there's some things that are not automatable that are very friendly for being for doing automation stuff. Like for example like I've got these LED lights that have their own remote that uses mm. the radio frequency to go through that I have behind my desk. And there's other things like, you know, blinds that you can hit that'll actually like roll them up and down and stuff based on a schedule. But you got to use their, the produce proprietary remotes and they're not like home assistant friendly or whatever. Well, this dude in this very short 15 minute session that he did on that's uh, published on YouTube from the home assistant conference in December of 2020. He did this session called reverse engineering at 43 mega, 433 megahertz radio frequency protocol. And what he did is he showed how he was able to basically listen to the the signals that were coming out or or read, watch, whatever, the signals coming out of the remote that he had for his blinds 
how he was able to reverse engineer it and figure out what everything, what all the different buttons did on the remote and how they were commanding things. And he went through this whole bit on like, how does it figure out ones and zeros and how does it do like a signed integer and is our rotating key and everything. It was really impressive that he shared this entire thing just over 15 minutes. There's a couple little radio frequency remotes that I have that I've wanted to look at. Like, oh, this would be kind of a fun little project, getting an Arduino and getting a little uh, IR, a radio frequency like reader. And let me suck these things in. Let me figure out if I can build my own little radio thing. Very quickly in 15 minutes, go, oh, this is going to be a hell of a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. But it was really cool to see that it's attainable, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> it's really good to know that you could do it. Well, it doesn't look that hard. It's more work than I thought it was going to be, but it, it doesn't look like it's attainable. And I don't know, one side of me looks at it and says, you know, this is something I want to do now because when I do it, it's not going to be like, oh, I imported a switch into Home Assistant. It's going to be more like, yeah. I actually did something that's I actually going to be that. useful. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like I built that button box for my flight simulator with Arduino and it was a really fun project. Yeah, it's like that. It's a lot like that. So Cool. I'm looking forward to watch that. That looks yeah, really awesome. I mean, 15 minutes. It, like you can just, you can blaze through it. So this is a, it was really good. It was really nice, good. nice. Cool. Rock and roll. That's episode 401 in the books. We're now into the 400s officially, I guess. And uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to more error codes. There we go. We have a handful more error codes we have to get through, but then then things just start breaking. So that's going to get that's gonna get bad. Yeah. Server crashes, all sorts of nasties. Okay. How about this? For each of these episodes we go through, and if there's an HTTP error code, we'll talk about it at the front at the, of the show. At the front of the show, we'll be like, you know, this is 401. That's, you know... Permission denied, isn't it? Yeah, something like that. Mm -hmm. We're going to have payment required. We've got all sorts of good ones coming up. We should do a special episode for Microsoft Graph. Let's earmark that for 429. Hey, we'll get Jeremy Thake on the the episode. (laughs) You can only get him once. (laughs) Can't request him again. You'll get denied. Yeah, well, actually, we should get the Graph team on so that we can rotate through uh, guests coming on that show. That's right. (laughs) AC, you're asking too many questions. You're going to have to take a pause for five minutes. You're going to have to back off, buddy. I wonder if any of those guys that are on the team actually listen to the show. We should actually try and go get them. So nobody tell them about this, but we should, on Twitter, how's this? We're going to crowdsource this. Let's get the graph <laughs> team to come on the show for four, on episode 429, and we'll just have all these questions, and let's see what, how they handle it. And go, you know, you guys handle these questions really, really well. Like, a lot of them coming at you at one time. Yeah. So, I have another question. <laughs> you guys can handle them, but your APIs can't. What's up with that? <laughs> I'm kidding. Graph's pretty good. I get why they do it. It makes perfect sense, and it's dealable. You can deal with it. Yes. All right, CJ. Cool. Have a good one. Yep. Take care, bud. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find out about our show and grow the audience, and we would really appreciate it. If you got a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or an MP3 and provide a link to it so that we can play your question on the show. You can also subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts, in the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up to our mailing list by heading over to our website, microsoftcloudshow.com. You'll get notices of each new episode as well as the show notes sent directly to you each week. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening.